y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host, and also the owner of the blog cabin. Today, I am joined by authors, best friends, actually. I am joined by Shelley Buck and Kathy Curvis. They wrote the book, Leave Your Light On, The Musical Mantra Left Behind by an Illuminating Spirit. And actually, it's a co-author book as well. Um, they co-author, they give credit to writer book. And the book is all about writer. It's a book about parenting. It's a book about grief and cancer. Um, Shelly was the mom of three boys when her oldest, which is writer, who was who she um, credits in the book as some of his writing and it's also in the book, was diagnosed with cancer at 22. So what happens next was a transformation of the parent-child relationship while Shelly learned how to let writer deal with his diagnosis his own way. He ultimately beat cancer only to lose his life later in a car accident. Now you talk about, wow, you talk about things happening and blind, being blindsided. Ryder became the inspiration for a new character in Frozen 2 and for one of the film's new songs. In her new book, Leave Your Light On, it's a vivid and poignant look at their journey. And Kathy is Shelly's best friend. And you're wondering where Frozen comes in, where Frozen 2 comes in. Well, Shelly is married to the director, Chris Buck, who is the director of Frozen and Frozen 2. So kind of that kind of all goes together. And during the time that Ryder's was going through cancer and Shelly was having to be there all the time, um, her husband was working on Frozen. So this is a really amazing book. I love that the best friends read it together. Kathy is actually one of the ones who actually writes books and Shelly just kind of um, co-wrote it with her. Kathy's more of the ghost writer, putting it in different places. So I hope you really enjoy this episode of Chats with the Blog Cabin. I really enjoyed chatting with these ladies. It, they were amazing um, to actually put their grief into words to help others ease their griefs during the time of trouble. And I even mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that I so could um, empathize with them. Maybe not totally understand what they were going through, but empathize because I lost both my dad and my sister Karen to cancer. So I hope you really enjoyed this chat. Like I said, you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I'm joined by co-authors Shelly Buck and Kathy Curtis. And guys, why don't you introduce yourself first? Tell us a little about yourself. Go ahead, ahead Shell. All right. Um, well, my name is Shelly Buck. I'm the mother of three boys, um, a storyteller and an artist. My jewelry is behind me. Um, I live in LA. I moved from the Midwest to follow my dreams to work at Disney. And that's where I met my husband and we started our family. And I'm Kathy Curtis and I'm Shelly's best friend. We met when we were 12 in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, where my family moved for a short period of time. And so Shelly went west to follow her dreams and I went into corporate life and moved around the country doing writing and marketing and all those kind of storytelling things. And I also have a sideline or had a sideline gig for about 30 years where I offered programs to people that were going through cancer or um, illnesses of any kind or um, domestic abuse. I mean, you name it leading them through creativity programs and 
ultimately ended up writing a book about grief because of um, the loss of my mom and developed a writing program uh, related to that that I've been offering live and online. And so, um, yeah, that's who I am. Well, it's, the book really hit me because um, my background is my sister was 25 years ago. She was 27 years old, died of cancer. And so she was like my best friend growing up. And I was actually pregnant with my very first daughter when she died of cancer. Oh, and then my dad in 2015, 2014, um, was diagnosed with simple lymphatic leukemia because of exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam, and he, we lost him in 2015. So cancer wow. hit, hits home everywhere. So I it think this, this book is an amazing book. So how did you guys team up to write it? You already said you're best friends, but how did you team up to actually decide to write it together? <laughs> well, I like your version of the story, Kathy. You go. Well, this is, it was, it's, it's a moment I know and I'll never forget because Shelly had written a journal all the way through her son had cancer and then um, he, he beat it, but then he was in a tragic accident. And so through the grief, she just wrote a journal on caring bridge and she's a very good writer. And so she, she printed all that off and showed it to a few people in a, um, a man who has interest in it from a film point of view said to her, you know, you really need to take this journal and turn it into more of a narrative. And so I think you need to hire a ghostwriter who can help you do that. And she called me, flipped out, thinking, oh, my God, I don't know where to go to find a ghostwriter. And, and I'm sitting on the other end of the phone thinking, well, you know, I've written a book and I know your family and I know your story. And I'm thinking maybe it should be me, but I didn't really want to say anything. But I finally did, and she screamed again, said, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't see it was sitting right in front of me. So that's how we came to write the book together. <laughs> and I love how you credit your son, Shelley, on, as a co-author as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Ryder did a lot of writing, and um, through his life, he was a very good writer, and we included as much of that as we could in the book. But... Um, Ryder really was a spirit guide on this book, if you will. He was he was available and present throughout the process. And um, so much of it was written while he was still with us, while he was going through the cancer, um, that his input was uh, implicit, shall we say. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, ultimately Ryder, um, posthumously came to me and said, write my story, mom. And so I knew that the journal had to turn into a book. There was no two ways about it. It was just going to have to happen. So how long did it take you from the point that you started writing your journals to when you published the book? How long was that? Well, the, the journal happened, writer's writer passed seven years ago and the journal happened a year before that so it's been eight years um from its inception as uh as a journal to um i wrote for a good five years on caring bridge after writer passed i was continuing to process um my grief and my life and his life and um so Kathy and I started working together on it about two years ago. And how, what was that process like? Because are you're not in the same city, are you? No, I'm in LA. Kathy's in Fort I'm Wayne. I'm in Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> yeah, we, we truthfully, that's a really amazing part of the journey because we were on the phone every single day multiple times a day after years of always being really in touch with one another, but not having nearly that level of contact. And so we're, you know, when, when you enter into a project like that, you have no idea when you're doing a creative thing, how the other partner will be like, what it will really be like mm -hmm. to work with them. We have had a magical run. I mean, it's, Everything that we 
that we had to do, we agreed upon. Like we, if, if she thought one way and I thought the other, we'd talk it through and one of us would be the right one and we would both know it. So it was really um, a magnificent journey through our friendship in addition to the outcome being a book that I, we're both really proud of. So what did your families think about it when you said you were gonna write this book? Well, it was their idea long before it was my idea. Um, just uh, from the people that I that saw my CaringBridge site, and it's a closed site, so you invite the people you want to share it with. And it made sense while Ryder was going through cancer that we would keep people up to date on a daily basis. Um, those people and my family all said, um, you really need to write a book, Shell. This is good stuff. And so, uh, when we really got down to it, they were all behind it. They were, you know, they thought it was long overdue. So lots of support. Wow. And what about you, Kathy? What did your family think when you started writing this book with Shelley? Um, you know, I don't know that they had any particular thought. I write books for other people. I mean, that's part of what I do. And um, I think they were you know, intrigued to see what would happen and what would come out of it. And I think they've all been completely blown away by it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Ryder now. Let's tell, tell, tell us his story. Because he seems larger than life in the book. Well, <laughs> he always has been. Um, ever since he was a little boy, and this is in the book, he was what I would consider an old soul. He was quiet, introspective, intuitive, um, observant, very discerning in the friends that he chose, um, and poetic in the way he expressed himself. Um, it stopped me in my tracks. And when he got into high school and played water polo. He went on to pick up the guitar, which became his true artistic outlet. That was where he fed his soul. So he became a singer songwriter with his own band, um, played all over the LA area, Southern California, um, and uh, went on to record some of his songs. We have them on some CDs. Um, he was uh, he was a larger than life character. He followed his dreams with a passion and really didn't let anything get in his way. Um, even the cancer was it was daunting, but it didn't stop him. He uh, he made his way through that on his own terms. He followed the doctor's orders, but he did it his way. I love that. Followed the doctor's orders, but did it his way. I'm I'm at the part of the book where, you know, the doctor's telling him he needs to rest and he's like not out resting. He's out going and and going and staying out all night. Basically, you're worried as a mom, but you're letting him do his own thing. So how hard was that to let him do his own thing? Oh, that was that was so hard. Of course I was you know, the epitome of a helicopter mom during his cancer treatment, I had to be there. I felt I had to be there. He didn't really want to hear what the doctors had to say. He wanted me to gather the information. So I was at the hospital every day for eight to 10 hours a day until my husband could come in the evening and spend a couple of hours with him. And, you know, I gathered all the information from the doctors and you know, I got that Ryder needed to be careful, but when he would come home, he was inpatient for one week and would be out for two. So after a couple of days of being home and feeling lousy, he was off and running. And and I knew I had to lengthen the leash, so to speak, or or even drop the leash. I mean, he said he was going camping a couple of hours away and he came home with pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge on his phone, which is about six hours north of where we live. Um, he was doing it 
the way he felt like doing it. He went surfing, he went rock climbing, he came home all scraped up. And, you know, the doctors were appalled and really tried to reel him in a little bit. But, you know, he was looking at his own mortality. He was thinking, I've got so much time. I don't know how much. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to do what I love. I'm going to hike. I'm going to surf. I'm going to play my guitar on the mountaintop, um, go to concerts and ball games and all sorts of places I wouldn't have had him go. But uh, as a mother, the first doctor I talked to gave me the best advice. He said, you're going to have to let him be a man. He was 22 when he was diagnosed and he was a man, though he was still living at home because he was a student. Um, that was a tall order. I had to really, really work at letting him lead and stepping back into the background and just being there in the bleacher seats waiting for him to need something. So what advice would you give parents that are going through similar situations like that right now? Mm. Well, I tried to identify a little bit with Ryder while he was in the hospital and I watched as they poked him and hovered over him and rolled him off for tests. And I realized that he was being done to all the time and he had no control over it and he needed control in some way. And it doesn't matter if it's a five-year-old or a 22-year-old or a 30-year-old, um, they're going to need to feel some sort of uh, semblance of being in the driver's seat where they can control what they eat or what toys they play with mm -hmm. or what they do with the time where they feel well. Um, so giving them some kind of control was really, really important. It became the theme for the whole, the whole cancer journey. So how did the family, how did it affect your family unit? Well, um, I was gone most of the time. My mother and my sister took turns taking, watching over my other, my youngest son who was still home. He was in high school. Um, and my middle son was away at college. So we stayed in touch via phone and, um, and texting and so on. But uh, really, I dropped the ball at home a lot. We had a uh, wonderful, wonderful community. Our friends brought us meals from the time Ryder was diagnosed until uh, after he finished his cancer uh, treatment. And then again, after he passed, we received meals and I counted on that. I had um, friends, you know, choir directors, theater directors who kept a watch on my on my youngest son, the coach, the water polo coach watched out for him. I just relied heavily on my, on my community. My husband was working overtime on Frozen at the time. So he was not to be seen. We were like ships passing in the night. I, I barely saw him. So I guess I, I know as a mom and uh, Kathy, are you a mom as well? I'm not. Oh, okay. No. But um, I was thinking mom guilt when you, you're focusing on that one child that's sick because I have three daughters. Right. And so when you're focusing on the one child sick, the other two kind of, you know, feel left out a little bit. So how did they react to all this stuff going on? Well, my youngest son was the one who was most present um, and he acted out. He was, he was uh, 14 years old um, and he was very demanding um, I tried to be there for his games. Um, you know, I tried to be there for his performances. I was there for the big things, but the day-to-day, -day, um, I remember one time he was going to a prom and I was, you know, probably it was, it was an off week from the hospital. So I was home and, um, and he needed, absolutely had to have a gold lame bow tie. Now, where I was going to come up with it, and then I had hours to get this. This wasn't like, give me a week and I'll make one. Mm. I ran up to the top of the street and the store there just happened to have one. And I came up with it like magic. 
but he wasn't mommy can you please it was mom i need a bow tie gold lame bow tie now <laughs> so that was what i dealt with with him he was very happy about the meals that came to the house it was like we were getting takeout every night so i really didn't worry about feeding him or my husband and um i was just as present as i could be when Ryder was not in the hospital and those weeks when he was in my mother and my sister stepped in and took care of my my youngest son and then again my middle son was away at college so we did make trips to see his productions um he was in Michigan so you know it just happened to dovetail with weeks when Ryder was not impatient um because I don't know what I would have done if it had been if it had coincided, it would have been a really tough decision. Yeah, I can just imagine. I mean, my oldest right now is in California. She's going to graduate school out here, out there, and I'm in North Carolina. So that being drawn away, you know, it's it's kind of hard. Yeah, yeah. I was spread thin. So what did you guys learn while you were writing this book? What did it, What was your most thing that stood out the most in your mind while writing? What did you know that you had to put in the book? Oh, well, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, early on, you know, Shelley wrote a, like a day-by-day -day accounting of what had happened. And when it came to putting everything into a book, we really believed that the key thing that needed to come forward was this idea of the way that Ryder lived his life and the way that he was in the world and the thing that got him through the cancer and, and took him soaring into his life after he, you know, beat the cancer and went on was this light. And he had written this song. The very first song he ever wrote is called Leave Your Light On. And that was sort of, you know, truly his mantra for living life. And when they had the memorial service, you know, right after he passed, they were thinking that there might be 300 people come to the church and they were planning for an overflow room to accommodate people and with video screens because they had videos and they had all kinds of things they were going to do, but 1,200 people showed up and they stayed for three hours and they lingered and they wrote out little cards telling Shelley and the family what Ryder had meant to them. And so out of all that um, feedback, the idea that his light, that this is what it meant, this was the imprint that he had left in his life. And it, it was really out of the ordinary for a young man to be that full of mm -hmm. wisdom and joy and uh, just all the things that he was and, and he wasn't perfect, but he, he, he just, you know, lit up a room. And so when we were writing the book, that light guided our every day, the light that we would tune into that. I would, I was like felt writer right on my shoulder, like tuning in and just really absorbing what that meant over and over and over day by day. And so by the time we were done, I think we both have way more light in us than we had before. <laughs> I have to believe that. <laughs> I love that. Now you talked about the little cards. Was that some of the experts that are in the book or they from the little cards or no? Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. Go ahead, Shell. That's okay. Um, we got, we got, text messages, but those cards um, were, they were golden. They were beautiful stories. They were heartfelt and um, we felt that they really had a place in the book that, that these were, that Chris and I said to one another, we didn't really know Ryder. I mean, we maybe knew about 25% of him because all we saw was what was in the house. It was when he was out in the world that he was doing all this good work and affecting people deeply. And we found that out after he passed. So yes, we thought those stories really deserved a place in the book because they illustrate who Ryder really was. 
Now, did you initiate the note cards or did the people just leave them? Oh, no, we left them out. They had, um, you know, they had a little request at the top and a picture mm -hmm. of Ryder and we left them uh, in the in the lobby of the narthex of the church. Okay, that's that that is so cool that, that you can go back and look at that now too. That's mm -hmm. nobody in their grief, nobody really thinks the forethought of actually doing something like that. So you can know what they've meant to other people. Yeah. I don't know how we came up with it. The it I had a lot of friends help me with the service and it's a blur to me, but I do know that we we definitely planned the music that would be played, his band played, of course, and we had a guest band that showed up that was Ryder's favorite band. They were a big band, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, and some of the members of the band showed up and played at the church um, with Ryder's band um, and really made it a spectacular, special, special day. Well, I, can, I can't even, I've got goosebumps just listening to this. Um, so how has your family changed in the years that's passed? Well, um, I would say before Ryder passed, I was, um, exuberant and optimistic and joyful and kind of like Tigger. Um, and as soon as he passed, it was more like I was Eeyore. There was this sadness, this this blanket, this heavy blanket of sadness um, over me. And as goes the mother, so goes the family. So um, as I worked my way back into the light and into my optimism, um, the family has has grown and processed and come together to kind of fill the physical gap and yet keep space for Ryder's presence. Um, we just have found a different way to hold him. And uh, we still talk about him. There are pictures all over the house. I have a revolving frame on my kitchen counter that has pictures of everybody, but lots and lots of pictures of Ryder. And so they're talking points. They're, they're conversation starters and um, we do a lot of remembering and um, I focus heavily on my two sons that are present with me uh, on earth. And um, we, we've just come together tighter. And Kathy, yeah. Kathy, how has it affected you? Cause obviously you're her best friend. So how have you seen not only affected you, but how have you seen her change and evolve through all this? Well, it did affect me. And, you know, um, working on the book, I mean, I was going, I was processing my own grief, too, about Ryder. But, um, that, you know, for a long time, I worried about Shelly, because I know that early on, she did not want to live. She, I mean, she admitted that I felt, I felt that when we talked. Um, but I also knew her to be stubborn and like, you know, she had a will <laughs> that was undeniable and that will would have said to her and it did, it, it's not acceptable. Not only that, she had two other boys that needed her, but still, I mean, that's a very dark place and a very, uh, very dark time. So during the course of writing, we processed a lot of grief to, you know, together but one of the things that I'll never forget that I think served a role but at the time it was very painful is that she had this massive collection of memories that had you know that had happened and in order to create a book that would be you know truthful to what happened but yet light enough to bring people through it, not to just pull them down. We had to pull out a lot of different things. And every time I would say to her, you know, I think we really need to pull this out. Her heels would dig in because she is mm -hmm. stubborn. And I could feel it. She didn't even have to say a word. I could feel <laughs> the heels. And and it, and I would feel, it, it can't, got to the point where I would feel that pain before I made her feel the pain of mm -hmm. having to let go. 
But in the end, I really feel like it helped clear some of the remaining grief mm -hmm. because of that continual letting go of what felt like sacred pieces of the story that in fact, they were, they were memories, but they didn't need to be put out there into the world. Anyway, I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but um, I was overwhelmed by that. But what I can tell you is that Shelly is the Shelly I've known forever again, but more, you know, better, deeper, richer. Um, yeah. So more like Shelly that appreciates life a little bit. Like it's I think a that's exactly bigger. right. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so you started a, a scholarship foundation in writer's name. Tell us about that. That was, um, we announced that at his service. So that came into being um, the first week. Uh, it's a scholarship for seniors at his high school who want to study music. They don't have to major in it, but they do have to have a plan for sharing it with the world the way Ryder did. And um, so we audition them, we interview them, they fill out a pretty lengthy application with the opportunity to write some thought-provoking essays. And um, then at the the end of every school year, they um, we present uh, however many scholarships that year. Uh, it just depends on who applies and qualifications. Um, so that's the scholarship. There are other things. Did you want me to tell you about any? Yeah, go, go right ahead. Tell me about the other things you've done to let his memory live. All right. Oh, the next thing we did was um, we installed a bench at the top of his favorite mountain mm -hmm. um, at the end of his favorite hiking trail where he would go and play his guitar or flirt with the girls or just hike up there to meditate and and be one with the stars. Um, and that's a beautiful place that a lot of people go. We'll often hike up there and find other people resting on it. and. Um, so that's very gratifying. We um, did produce three CDs of his music. So we um, have that and that is just a beautiful gift to ourselves. I listen to it all the time when I'm in my car. And um, there's a school in Bali where he went his last summer and he taught English there for a while. He was there for a month and he wanted to go back and continue doing that. Um, but he passed first and they have uh, set up an, a writer buck English language program in three schools now. They just opened their third school uh, in Bali. So those things live on. And of course we wrote the book and that is pretty much the cherry on top of it all. Wow, you've done so many things to immortalize his memory. I mean, to make him larger. He was, it sounded like he was larger than life anyways, but now you're making him even larger than life. So have you ever had the opportunity, like when you go up to the mountain and you see somebody sitting there to share with them who Ryder was? What oh, the sure. Was about? sure. There was, um for six years, there was a picture of him printed on a tile up there. Someone recently removed it and we tried replacing it and they removed that one. So we figured six years was a good run. So um, yes, when we would be sitting up there uh, and people would come up either on their bikes or hiking, they would say, do you know anything about this, this young man? And so we'd tell the story and share his music site. And, um, you know, uh, then we have friends who go up there kind of uh, religiously, you know, to spend time uh, thinking about Ryder and being with him. And um, we go up there pretty frequently. So, yeah. Well, your story about the bench and where he's um, at the mountain reminds me of another book that I read. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's by Phil Mazier. And I actually interviewed him in the beginning of the year. And he wrote a book about going and doing all these hiking trails that his daughter had always said it was on their bucket list. 
and two because his daughter died of Addington's disease and so he was her best friend you know they were best friends to each other and so he 71 years old went up and did all these trails that were on her bucket list in her memory and ended up writing a book about that so your story wow. sounds so similar the way you I love, I love that I love how you're still keeping him alive through this book thank you that's the point yeah Wow, I'm just, I'm just like right flustered right now. <laughs> well, I want to, if I could, I want to kind of dovetail on what you were talking about with the other author. Uh -huh. There's so much healing power in doing things that come out of the relationship you had. Like in the book that I wrote, my mom and I wrote letters to one another, not email, but like real letters over you know, over a long period of time before she died. And so my natural way of healing my grief was to write to her and then allow her to write back. And that was a real spirit shifting, grief eliminating way for me to do it. But I really think that there's some way that you can further, um, you know, just a unique aspect of your relationship with someone and keep it going and let, you know, let it become like the energy of that person and of you together bringing it forward. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that book was really changed. And once I read this one and I was like, cancer, as soon as I saw cancer, I was like, that hits so close yeah. to home, especially losing my sister. Like I said, my oldest is actually yeah. her middle name is, is named after her. So, uh, but just, I can't imagine writing a book about it. So why, I know these emotions were all coming up for you when you were writing it. Was there stuff that you were like, I can't do this anymore. Was there ever a point when you were writing, especially you, Shelly? Cause I know Kathy, you were right. You were the ghost writing, but Shelly, all the emotions brought back. Was there a point where you said, I can't do this anymore? I'm going to stop. Oh, no, no. I was, I was propelled forward, not just by the, the process and the product, but by writer. There is no way I could let him down. He asked me to write his story. And I knew what we were doing was good work. It was work that needed to be done. It was a story that I needed to tell. And I think it, is a story that's not just uh, personally satisfying, but I think it has value to the world. Um, it's ultimately, though it's about grief and cancer, it's ultimately, I believe, an uplifting, hopeful book mm -hmm. that, um, that shines a light on, on everyone, so. Now, Kathy, did you ever have misgivings about whether or not you were going to be able to show him the writer, the writer that he was in real life in the book? Um, you mean to show him not being perfect? Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. yeah. And to basically say, am I going to do him justice when you're writing the book? Oh, absolutely. I it was first of all, it was a big honor to get to do this. But it was a huge responsibility. And that's why I think I worked so hard to stay in tune with him. And that, that you know, when you write a book, there are a million decisions and choices that you can make. And every one of them, it had to feel like it was, you know, the, the thing that writer would want. He wouldn't want a sad book. He would want a brilliantly lit book. And so... Um, I felt I grew really comfortable intuiting his, you know, his input and shell, like I said, Shelly and I just, just seamlessly agreed, you know, all along the way as we were putting it together. So I think he's proud. Yeah, I do. So what's up next for you guys? Do you plan on writing any other books or is it just the one and done? Or do you think you're right? Well, one and done. <laughs> <laughs> well, well different for both of us. I think I'm one and done, but Kathy may have other opinions and certainly a different life's path. Well, I have other books that I'm working on, but um, who knows? I we're open to, you know, the way this thing unfolds and, um, we don't know the future. 
Because I would love to to hear about more about how the family interacted. You know, you already talked about how some your sons were having some problems. I would love to hear maybe more of their side of what was going on. So the other people who have siblings that are going through the same thing, they can know that they're not alone and that they're, it, their feelings are valid because a lot of people think, oh, your your brother or your sister has cancer. Or your brother and sister are dying. You sh you shouldn't be acting up right now. You should be, you know, you let your parents, you know, like, focus on the person that's sick, but they have their own feelings and thoughts. So, you know. I think that's a valid idea, really. Yeah. If I could get it out of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would have put it in the book. What I got was what I got, but. You know, they were both very, very different, including my husband. All three of them were very, very different in the way they um, handled the not just the cancer, but writer's passing. Um, and and that's how I have found I've found it with with everyone. Everyone has their own way of um, seeing life and death, uh, of of dealing with. Um, the difficulties that come up in life, not just cancer, but, you know, any really big challenge that, that sets you off. Um, and uh, the boys taught me a lot in that, in that I needed to make room for them to be who they are and were at the time um, and honor that. And I, and I needed to not have expectations that they were going to follow my lead um, they did to some degree, you know, but, um, I think it was as much that they didn't want to see me disintegrate. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we had to make room for each other. My husband, I wanted people around me. I couldn't be alone after Ryder passed and my husband needed solitude. So mm -hmm. he took, his bike and the car up the coast for a few days just to get in touch with Ryder. And he took um, Ryder's favorite bands, music and listened to them and just spent the time away. And fortunately, you know, my friends knew what I needed and they were around me and I was not alone. And um, so we went about our, our processing completely differently. It's amazing how everybody processes grief so differently, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Truly. And I really admire the way that they have dealt with each other and allowed that to happen because I know a lot of marriages are really strained by grief and it's the kind of thing that can pull you apart. And I just have from the get go found them to be totally full of um, grace and generosity to the other one. Just, you know, do your thing. Yeah, I know when I lost my sister and both my one of my older sisters and myself were both pregnant. And we honestly say that if we didn't have the first grandchildren, first grandson and granddaughter born that year, that my parents probably would have just completely fallen apart. Oh, but the fact I that they had not. something to look forward to and kind mm -hmm. of brought the light back into them. Yeah, before. for sure. For sure. So. Shelly, what's up next for you then? What are you going to focus on now that you've written this book? You gonna you said no more books probably, right? So what are well, you? Well, I don't know. You know, we'll see if this if this evolves into something more. Um, I would love to see it as a movie. I believe it's it's got the value and the chops to to reach more people um, on the big screen. And uh, so I'm really still very focused on Leave Your Light On and promoting it and helping it find a wider audience. Um, I'm got both of my boys in the house now because of COVID. So we are sorting out how we all live together again. Um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. There's, uh, they're big boys now, 28 and 23. So they're, um, they need their own space. Mm -hmm. And so we're sorting, we're sorting through reorganized family life. So you said you were thinking about maybe you turning it, having it hopefully turn into a movie. Who would, who would be the dream person that you would want to play writer? Oh my gosh. To play oh, writer. Oh, good question. Wow. Oh my gosh. 
I couldn't begin to come up with a name. My husband would have it off the top of his head. Do you gotta have any ideas, Kathy? No, I'm not not off the top of I can't believe I we haven't thought of this. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't thought of it. Um, I mean, I know older actors that are like a little too old to play writer now. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio comes to mind for me. I'm not sure why, yeah. but um, I think it would have to be someone younger and I'm just not as familiar with them. Yeah. Great question though. Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> a <little bit> <laughs> <in>. <laughs> You stumped me. If my husband were here, he'd <laughs> So, Kathy, what's up next for you? Well, I'm going to continue to work with Shelly and, and help in any way that I can um, with Leave Your Light On. I'm also, um, I have the book that I wrote, which is called Invisible Ink, um, which is the letters that I wrote to my mother and then allowed her to write back to me after her death that was so unbelievably healing for me that I turned into a writing program that I offer in person and online um, but I'm going to do a second edition of the book because I want to put that writing program as the second half of the book so that people who read the story and get because people tell me it opens them up it makes them want to engage with their loved one who has passed that they've never really given themselves permission to do. And I think the writing program, since it works so well for me, could be helpful for them. So that's one thing. Um, I have a never ending list of, of uh, projects. And <laughs> I'm just, just always going, but you know, life tends to, I mean, I think life is a river and we, do best when we allow it to flow and not, you know, not get in the way of, of where it's wanting us to go. And I, right now I feel more than ever with COVID and all the topsy turvy kind of things that we're all feeling that I'm trying harder than ever to allow that river to flow and to not try to control where I go. So, you know, the magic lies ahead. <laughs> wow. Is there anything you guys want to say before we wrap up? Any last thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would probably on behalf of writers say everybody has a light. And all that really means is that it's just who you are, what you love, what makes you happy, what, you know, what choices you make to make room for that so that it can shine up from within you. And that's what he wanted for people. That's what he chose and demanded in his own life. But that's what he wanted for people. And people were drawn to him like a magnet because he didn't try to be who he wasn't. <laughs> and he was challenging in all the most charming ways. But he... <laughs> um, he did it his, it's kind of like Frank Sinatra did. He did it his way. And, you know, we get, we get, we get one life. What are you doing to make it feel significant and rich and happy and all that? So anyway, um, that's my final thought from him on behalf of him. Yeah. He had, um, he said, live and love. We're only here once. And, that's on one of his pictures because it's just a quote out of his many meanderings and journalings. And um, I think that's, that's the most important thing besides leave your light on, which is, you know, find your light and keep it shining and share it with the world. Um, live and love, you know. I love that. And the book is Leave Your Light On. It's the musical mantra left behind by a illuminating spirit. And I love this book. I'm halfway through it now and Thank I love you. it. And just, you can just see it, his, his light shining through the picture and the back cover. You can just see it. Yeah. And that, that was his last gig. He, that was taken one week exactly before he was 
um, he passed. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. and I took the picture. It was one, um, it was a gig in a neighbor's backyard. And, um, and uh, something told me that night not to videotape. I have videotaped every gig that he ever had, but something said, just take still photos. And I swear it was a voice because it was so clear that I actually didn't take my video camera, which I never went any to any gigs mm -hmm. without my video camera. I just took my good um, 35 millimeter and I took two pictures similar to that one that night and the rest of them, the rest of the time I just enjoyed the night and I'm really glad I did. Well, that's just giving me goosebumps right there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I want to thank you both for coming on and just well, sharing the story of Ryder. Thank, thank you, you for so having much. us. We love talking about him. Yeah, <laughs> Obviously, you can tell the love. The love is shining in your eyes. Even though you're both wearing glasses, you can see the light shining through. Us. Oh, so, thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, guys, we'll see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Y'all, I don't think that when my sister Karen died, I would have been able to write how I was feeling. And a matter of fact, when my dad died, it was took me a little time to write about his death, and I still haven't quite wrote about it yet. Um, I'm hoping someday soon to be able to give have someone on the podcast to talk about Agent Orange and how it affected their lives. Um, this was an amazing interview. I loved um, chatting with Kathy and Shelly. It was like I was sitting in their living room having a cup of coffee with them. It was really great. Um, just knowing their best friends, knowing they don't see each other, reaching out to each other, seeing the hurt that both of them have for and the love that they have for Ryder was just amazing. And I love how they include in the book, and I'll, I put the link to the buy the book in the show notes but how they include in the book not only their writing but writers writing um the writing of the brothers that little snippets they wrote um the little cards that shelly had out for the funeral they even included some of that in the book and it was an it was an amazing read so you need to definitely grab the book i linked it to amazon in the show notes um thank you so much for being part of the podcast family and for listening and supporting me um, you know, another way you can support me is by leaving a rating or review. It's, it's very simple. Two or three sentences. Tell me what you like about it. And then we'll just go on with our lives. And that also have, helps me get this content in front of other people. I thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you'll come back and listen again. And you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start chatting with each other. Bye.